Welcome to the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I am Caleb. And I'm Tim. Tim, I, I don't know why. It feels like a really long time since we talked last. I know. Well, it's been it's been about a week. <laughs> about a week. <laughs> Give or take. About a week, yeah. Uh, but the, the, not much has happened. <laughs> There's been one game. Right. Yeah. I mean, lots to talk about, but as far as, I don't know, earth-shattering news, I think it's uh, been pretty low-key. Same. I... I, uh, refreshing skills are, are really good right now. <laughs> I am, I, I've, I've refreshed Reddit and Twitter a few too many times. <laughs> well, if you know, you, you know me in uh, transfer rumors. I, I tend to, uh, let them go by because my heart's been broken far too many times. Until yeah. I see holding a shirt. I'm, I'm not too, too worried about it. I'm, yeah, I, I'm. There's nothing to cling to yet, but we're getting close. We're getting closer. We'll talk more about that at the latter half of this this podcast. But for now, we've got one game to review, a couple games to, that are coming up this week that are massive. Um, so, without further ado, let's let's get uh, let's get into our drinks this week. Yeah, are you still on your uh, your your beer box? Your Christmas I'm in beer the beer box. box. Nice. Uh, this week I'm just going over to Spokane oh, yeah. to no to no lie. Oh, I love no lie. Uh, I have their big juicy IPA. That sounds like a uh, a Caleb beer if I've ever heard one. You know, I think if you, if if you were to peg me for one kind of beer, I am I am an imperial IPA person because not only do I want it to taste strong, I want it to like smack me in the face. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a one drink wonder that way. Um, but yeah, I a big juicy. You know, I think if you talked to me last summer, I would have said this is this is right in my wheelhouse. Right now, though, I think it's not what I'm looking for, and it's it- not to say it's a bad beer. It's just very juicy and not quite as hoppy as I'm I'm wanting right now. You really want that that strong, and when you're saying hoppy, you want the uh, the pine hoppy flavors. Yes, that go with it. I like dank pine hoppiness. I'm telling you, you need to 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 keep a eye out for that Zappa hop. If you ever see a Zappa hopped beer hidden, I think that would be right up your alley. Yeah, I'm into it. It sounds sounds intriguing, but this is not a bad beer. It's just yeah. not what I'm looking for at the moment. But it's very smooth, very drinkable. So I'm sure I will. The problem with these beers is because they're not so hoppy. I tend not to sip them. I gulp them. <laughs> <laughs> and we might have to take a break, beer break mid uh, mid recording. That's right. Uh, how about you? You've got you've kind of got some big beer news in your house. Yeah. Well, you know, I've finally taken the step and I've uh, gotten a kegerator. And uh, yeah, so it's a two faucet kegerator. It can hold two six barrels or a half barrel. And so, yeah, my first uh, six barrel, of course, comes from the brewery because, yeah, it makes sense for me to, <laughs> to get it. And it's uh, the blueberry wheat that we had on. It's a you're, you're, you're My Boy Blue blueberry wheat, which is, it's an interesting beer. It's a, a fun beer. It has uh, blueberries, as you would say. But the flavor that comes about is like a more Chardonnay taste. And when I was talking to the brewer about it, it's because the blueberries act a lot like grapes in the fermentation process. Mm. And so they kind of, yeah, it tastes like a uh, a uh, Chardonnay because it has a very similar kind of fermentation to to some wines. 
Interesting. I yeah. guess any any fruit you're going to have a some sort of fermentation going on, but it probably all tastes a little bit different. Um, each fruit's going to react differently. Yeah, but uh, the blueberries because of the skin has is a thicker skin than a lot of other uh, fruit has that a reaction. So yeah, it's good. It's great. It's uh, more of a summer beer than I would say a winter beer, but it can't complain when it's coming out of a faucet. So <laughs> <laughs> I we were we were joking before the show that it's it's right outside your your door. Yeah, and and you need like a little mini door that you could just reach through <laughs> just throughout the podcast or just have like a straw, like a camel back or something like that, where I just like open just it and just tapped into the keg at all times. Yeah. <laughs> that could be dangerous. <laughs> um, so that's good news. You're, but that means you've got work to do if you're going to have a different beer every week. I'm going to actually have to or think. I might have to give up on that. <laughs> no, I'm going to think. I'm going to have to think about it. I, I actually already have next week's beer because I got it before the day before the kegerator came. So I have a, a six pack that I've just been sitting on. So oh, oh, next week okay. is covered. And I'll try. I'll just right. try to make it to the store on, on the day of the recording and try and get at least one new. Okay, you have to you have to have like a whole separate section for your kegerator beers and your store beers. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the kegerator is probably not going to change that often. If it, if mm, you're noticing my you. if you're noticing my kegerator <laughs> beer changing, you might have to uh, call a doctor for me. <laughs> um, yeah. Some someday you can have people over to help you. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the idea. I'm actually going to go on Friday and put a uh, get a uh, six barrel of cider to put on tap so that uh, the lady friend can uh, have something on the kegerator too. Did you get I, your extra tap handles? I did. Cool. Got to have good handles if you're going to have yeah. multiple taps. Yeah, I have I actually have a uh, Odin Brewing tap handle. That's a big Viking ship prow, which is really cool. And then I have a, a Menace tap handle, and then the brewers and owners at Menace have a huge pile of tap handles they're going to let me go through, and I'm going to pick some cool ones. Nice. Actually swap them out every week. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it would be awesome if I could match the tap handle to the uh, the beer on tap. Oh, that's very fancy. That's Yeah, that's the classy move. Yeah, that's right. All right. Uh, drinks are out of the way. Uh now for Tim's bit. What do you got this week? Oh, uh, well, in the other big household news of the uh, the Tim family, uh, we have brought in guinea pigs into our household, which have been fun and interesting and squealy. And so I was wondering, as my question of the week, if you could pair any pet with any Arsenal player, past, future, any anyone connected to Arsenal, let's open up there. What, what type of pet would you pair with people? Gosh, you remember how it was Sanchez who was always going on about his dogs, right? Oh, yeah. And then I recently saw uh, Sokka with a cute little, I think it was a dachshund. Oh, I could totally say that. He, he would be a dachshund person. I love dachshunds. I would get one myself. Those are great little dogs. Um, But... Pets outside of the dog cat scenario. Why? I, why do I feel like Jaka might be a snake guy? Oh, Jaka is totally <laughs> a snake guy. I could see him with a uh, a boa around his neck, like an actual boa, and then like you know have a rattlesnake for a little like 
adventure. I mean, like uh-huh. he's been bitten by his rattlesnake. Let's not uh-huh. like joke around, but yeah, totally. I feel I feel like the the more subdued players, like you know, I, I Emil Smith Rowe's vibe kind of feels like a cat person to me. Totally, I could also see Rob holding in that category, but maybe Rob can get kind of feisty. So maybe something a little actually, you know, we we also got to have Ainsley Maitland Niles, who's not with us at the moment, but he is the Birdman. So I, I'm guessing he would have. The bird catcher would have all kinds of birds, not just one. He would have like several birds in his house. <laughs> like a whole room dedicated to birds. Uh-huh. Like there's just constant noise in the background for his bird room. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why. And it's it's just, this is just kind of like animal association, but I, I just peg Ramsdale as a hedgehog person. <laughs> I like that. Maybe it's the spiky gloves that he wears. Those kind of remind yeah. me of a, a little hedgehog action. Yeah, maybe um, it's the way he catches the ball and like, or makes a save and he'll roll up on the ball. It just, I don't know. Yes. Uh, let's see. Who else are we forgetting here? I mean, I, I feel like uh, Aubameyang would have some sort of exotic pet to go okay. with his his cars collection, car collection. He's got to have like, like an alligator in a bathtub sort of situation. <laughs> what do you think about a chinchilla for him? A chinchilla, luxurious and kind of exotic. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think who else who else are we forgetting that just can't be without a good pet. I mean I've gotta say Arteta just reminds me of a golden retriever person. I know that's not exotic or exciting, but I just have him pegged as golden retriever. Doesn't it didn't I feel like I there was some story about him having like highly trained like security dogs that lived at his house. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like a, a Doberman or some sort of hardcore oh, that would, dog. That would definitely track actually something that you're, that's trainable, that will follow your, your orders, you know? Yeah, yeah. It kind of fits the like no hair out of place personality of Arteta. <laughs> <laughs> if it isn't true, it, it should be. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good one for Odegaard. Uh, Let's see. I mean, well, he is from Norway, so there's always like a reindeer. Like they have the <laughs> reindeer yes. farming up there. But yeah, no, I think he he needs something. I don't know. Not super exotic. I think actually reindeer might be the the way to go. <laughs> I feel like uh, Tierney would have some sort of hunting dog. Oh, totally. Like that would uh, go run very far and like collect the duck for him or whatever. Just very work focused sort of dog. <laughs> <laughs> Who on the team do you think would never have a pet? Hmm, that's a good question. I feel like you know maybe Ben White would just be like, I don't have time for this. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good shout. <laughs> Oh, and I got to say, you know, Tom, Tommy probably got like one of those uh, extremely rare, super cute cats. It's oh, like yeah. very Japanese and totally looks like it came out of a cartoon somehow. Yeah, I mean, Tommy Yasu <laughs> looks like a cat person to me. So, yeah. Yeah. He's got the, he's got the calm demeanor as well. I think, I feel like he, the, the cat people have a different vibe. 
I think from now on, when we talk about players, we have to, if it's a new player on our radar, we have to decide whether they're cat or dog person. Cat, dog, or exotic. <laughs> cat, dog, or exotic. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Okay. That, that was a good question. I like that one. Thanks. Yeah, it was fun. All right. So I was saying to you before the show, like, I, I think I was a little, I had more feelings about this, uh, forest game a few days ago and, and as the longer i've had to think about it the more i'm like uh, a little more I, I, i'm okay with it i i feel like i was fired up about getting knocked out of the fa cup so soon but then i'm like the more i think about it and the more covid comes into play the more injuries that we could have the AFCON stuff. I I think I'm okay being in, in one one less thing. Like I'm looking on the bright side of that. Yeah, I mean there's lots to talk about with the game and we will get into the details I'm sure, but as an overall I you're right. I just I like the FA Cup. I think it's awesome. I watched a lot of FA Cup games actually over the this last week. But and it's fun to see, you know, these some these smaller teams, these teams from other leagues. I have I have a special spot for Cambridge United, and they uh, they they pulled it off against Newcastle, which was fun. Uh, but you know, especially because we've won it fairly recently, uh, I'm I'm okay going out this early. I'm I'm okay having one less group of fixtures to do, and you know. Uh, it, we we really just need to be focusing on the league out of anything right now. And I'm just, yeah, okay with it. I mean, I'm not necessarily okay with the performance, but as a result, it's a result that happened and I'm not going to rip out trees. Yeah. In, in terms of uh, mountains to climb, you know, I, I, we've got, we've gotten pretty far into the uh, Carabao cup here. Um, and we've got, the semifinal with Liverpool, the, the two legs in front of us. So, to me, I, if you're going to put your eggs in in a couple different baskets, I feel like you focus on that and and the league, and that's that's plenty because you know the competition between Liverpool and whoever we have to face in the next round, assuming we win, uh, yeah. you know that that those those are going to be bigger challenges and things we should put emphasis on and. I don't know. The, the FA Cup feels like a, a side a side thing, but you know, when we look at the look back on the season, and if things don't go well in the in those uh, in those areas, then we're going to look back at this and maybe regret that we didn't didn't do better. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's also not the most embarrassing team to lose to. At least they're you know championship side. You know, yeah. it, 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 it's a team that they've struggled with in the past. Yeah. I mean, if anybody's going to knock us out, it's going to be Forrest, apparently. Yeah. And so I'm I, again. It's it's not ideal, but I don't know. Take some take some talking points on it and move on. I mean, I I don't in two years I probably won't even remember. <laughs> no. Prompted that this game happened. So. Well, we could talk about it in a little bit more detail. I don't know that there's a ton of great things to say about the Arsenal performance. Um, I was rewatching the the highlights, if you can call them that, <laughs> and uh, the things that stood out to me. I think, like obvious, the obvious concern coming out of that is that the 
the B team, the cup team, you might call it, or, you know, what we're left with, what we're left with, with the absences for, um, injuries, COVID and AVCON, you know, it's, it was a bit of a drop off. Um, and, and surprisingly so considering that there was some stronger players in there, but I think the, the core of the team was changed enough that it affected how we were able to play. And they just never really looked like they got into a groove or really were up for it at any point in this game. I never felt like there was a high point where, oh, they almost got got into a rhythm or put Nottingham Forest on their heels or anything like that. I just can't think of any real moments where they had the upper hand. I mean, it felt to me very much like a perfunctory <laughs> performance. Oh, alliteration. That was fun. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it wasn't, it wasn't that engaging. It wasn't that exciting. I thought our defense looked fine. Uh, I think it, I, I, I thought the the two Martins, as I like to call them, Martin Odegaard and Martinelli, I thought they looked fine. <laughs> like I thought uh-huh. Odegaard looked all right. Uh, for me, the biggest takeaway is just how little depth we have in the striker position and how little wiggle room we have. And I, I know we have a question about it, So, but I, I just think that... Uh, Inkedia definitely left much to be desired. He missed several good opportunities. I wouldn't necessarily call them sinners, but good opportunities in this uh, in this match. Yeah, do we want to? We could have a whole Inkedia discussion. Is that a question we want to bring up early, or do we want to put that off to the end? I mean, to, to be honest, I don't really know if there's any much else to talk about in the game. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that he he was kind of the, the, the I don't know what's the what's the opposite of star of the show. Um, you know, well, I, I would have said goat, but now that has a completely different connotation. <laughs> well, well, we'll let uh, Joe's question drive this conversation. Um, Joe Robinson writes in and says, uh, "What was this Nketiah's chance to prove himself one last time, or was?" Was it supposed to be a shop window opportunity? Either way, he didn't make much of a case. Do you think Arsenal are still feeling burned from Nabry leaving and then becoming a star? And could this be why Eddie and maybe Ainsley Maitland-Niles weren't sold in the summer? I mean, I think to answer the first question, I think yes and yes are the first two questions, which I think this is... I mean, I think there's been a lot of last chances for Enkedia. It's... You talk about this kind of uh, next man up uh, mentality. This, like, you know, if someone's gone out of the team, you need to step up, and you really need to show your value. And at this point, Enkedi has had plenty of opportunities to show his value, and he's gotten a, a goal here and there, but it hasn't been convincing. And this, well, just goes- I, I will point out, he had he had uh, the hat trick not too long ago in the EFL Cup, and you, I would expect him to, you know, when he does shine, it has been in the cup tournaments. And so I was kind of surprised that he didn't have a better game. Oh, the, uh, the, who were we playing in that EF cup, cup game? That was a, Oh, uh, was it was a, was that I'm blinking on the team right now, but they were not a, a stern competition. No, it was, uh, so, Oh, it was Sunderland, right? Yeah. 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 And, I you just I think anytime he, he, you put him in situations where he's playing against 
you know, very like just good tests of opposition. He just hasn't performed. And I think more times out of not, he's not become clutch for us. So, I mean, I think this would be a good time for him to move on. I've heard rumors about him going to Newcastle and I keep on begging that that, that will happen. I think <laughs> Palace were sniffing around too. And I would take it and, and to kind of go to the the second part, which is like, are they gun shy because of the Nabry situation? I think a Nabry situation, it, well, not ideal happens every once in a while. And you can't let that dictate your transfer policy because otherwise you're never going to let any player leave. So I, I don't know. I think, I think he's in that situation where you just... I mean, we're, the, the thing is that he might not leave just because we're so thin up top and it sounds, and, you know, we're going to transfer rumors later, but even if we get in a good striker, it's not like we have a glut of strikers, especially with Balogun going out possibly on loan. Or did that get inked? Uh, yes, that's official. Yeah, so with Balogun leaving, like I, we just don't have a ton of strikers, so I could see him staying, but I think he's a player that, for his sake and for Arsenal's sake, it just needs to move on. I think it, he, he needs brighter pastures. He needs more regular play. Yeah, I think it, you're right. It's probably more likely next season. But, you know, some, if some desperate team wants to come in and pay over the top for him and we have possibilities of getting somebody in this window, I think that the, the short-term solution is you figure out how to get Aubameyang back into the fold and not write him off just yet. Just say, hey, give us a good second half of the season and we'll we'll cut you loose and you can go do what you want elsewhere. Um, or, you know, do say the right thing is to get him back on board and focused enough to at least provide depth so that we're not so thin. But I, my hope would be that, you know, if, if they're going to let Nketiah go out, it's because we've got a new signing coming in and that's going to be the, the new focus. And then you've got Lacazette to, to back that, that individual up and hopefully you're, you know, if you had to go to Aubameyang, you could, but I wouldn't want to rely on him without having a new signing in. Yeah, and I think you could probably slot in in an extreme emergency, Martinelli, and he could do a job up top. Uh, Absolutely. So there is, a, you know, you know, a veneer of depth, but uh, I, I would would assume he's going. I just, I mean, I just don't think I've seen enough of him to know that it's not working in Arsenal. That not may not be to say that we sell him to Crystal Palace and he just goes on an amazing run and becomes an amazing player. But in that case, I think it's just wrong place, wrong time type of thing. You know, there, there's just sometimes players don't fit. And I think you could almost say that for Gnabry where it just didn't fit. So it didn't work and we moved on and then it, it worked somewhere else. Uh, and you can't just get that hundred percent right all the time. And with Nketiah, I, I, I just don't see enough to hold on to him. I, and this this is a theme that keeps coming back up, I think, when you're thinking about Aubameyang and Enkedia and Nabri and whoever else. It's not about being, it's not always about being uh, a good player. And sometimes good players are, are going to find, um, they're going to overperform. Like we've seen Aubameyang in, in some seasons just over overperform uh, his skills and the people around him and... Um, it is, it is about being in the right place at the right time. It's about the the system that you're in. It's about the players that are around you. It's about how the team, the overall form, the structure, the tactics. It's To really have a good season, to have a good career, can really come down to um, 
that right place at the right time situation. And I think there was a time when Aubameyang was, it, it, you know, perfect for what we needed. And then we got forced into a situation where we needed that pro- productivity. We needed that Aubameyang, but the style of play was shifting around him. And all of a sudden we would have to regress in a way, or, you know, go back to a way we were playing to accommodate his best form. And, and that's, that's kind of tossing out the uh, regression that comes with age. So, you know, even that is, is playing a factor in his um, form, but when you're looking at Nabry or you're looking at um, Kedia, we saw in this game, like it's who, he he's not the pl- type of player that's going to suddenly um, take a bunch of guys on or you know, come back and find the ball and then charge up the field uh, and, and pa- pass a bunch of players and do a lot of things on his own and create something from nothing. He's the type of guy that's going to be in front of the goal and tap stuff in. I mean, you look at that hat trick and a lot of, it was all in the six yard box. It was, it was cheeky. Like that back, that love that back heel move that he does uh, that he has in his pocket. But that sort of thing, you have to build the team around accommodating that sort of play. And in this situation, in this game, we did not look like a team that was in, in control of the midfield. We didn't, we weren't, the buildup didn't look great. And the opportunities that Nkedia had didn't really fit his style. He was having to take shots from further away. He was having to try to create things on his own one-on-one situations. And so he might be a great player, but in the in the style that we're playing, and especially in this game, it was not the right fit and it, it wasn't the right time. And I, I don't begrudge him wanting to leave because even if we could give him playing time, I don't think the way that we play suits him at the moment. Exactly. And, uh, you know, as we said, like it, we're likely to see more of him because I just, I think we'll hold on to him for striker depth through the end year. It's probably why we held on to him this year anyways. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it, we'll be able to move on from him in the in next year. Is his contract out at the end of the year? I forget. Uh, yeah, he's, he's free to go. And I think that's, um, that may be a reason that we see him stay, you know, like he may stay through the rest of this season just because he could get a Bosman and, and have a pre-contract with another team that would pay him a lot more on a free transfer than if somebody were to swoop in and, you know, have to pay for him outright to prime away from Arsenal mid season. So, um, I think he will go for bigger money going to another another league. I think that's what he's holding out to see at this point. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just don't see a desperate team thinking he's the answer. <laughs> you know, no. I mean, the the reason I think Palace might be a good fit is the um, I think Vieira would put him to good use there. Um, but I think that would they. I don't know if they have the money that he's looking for right now. Yeah, exactly. Unless he, he gets a loan, which is, I don't think Arsenal would be interested in a loan, really, unless there's no. a Rachel fee involved with that. So, <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, if they were trying to drum up money, maybe, but I don't feel like they're that, that desperate at the moment. Yeah. So that's in Kedia. <laughs> After a couple of days of digesting that game, is there anything else you want to talk about about that game? Um, I think we should mention the Tavares situation. That was kind of odd. 
um, him getting pulled in the 30th minute, somewhere in there. I mean, it was, it was early. Um, let's see. When did he come out? Uh, yeah. 35th minute, uh, getting replaced by Tierney and seemingly not for any, any sort of injury. It just looked like a tactical, tactical change. And we don't, we haven't seen that a ton from Arteta. We've seen some halftime switches here and there, but for the most part, he tends to let these players work out their demons on the field. I mean, it's always weird for me with a a minute 30 switch because I, I just don't, unless it's falling apart at the seams, which I, did, I didn't really notice when I was watching this. I, I could be crazy that it was absolutely falling apart at the seams on his side. I think pulling him out 15 minutes before halftime, just and it, it's, it, it upsets a player. And it, uh, I think it also uh, doesn't add enough in 15 minutes to warrant that. Did, did you, did you think it was a worthy, uh, worthwhile sub or? I'm. I would not be surprised if the conversation behind the scenes was, you know, after the game, was was along the lines of it wasn't necessarily about Tavares. It was about the team playing badly and and Arteta not having enough options off the bench to affect the game and and change it in a positive way. Um. I you know the other the other real option he had was. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of Tierney, Lacazette, and then a bunch of young guys or, you know, Glass and Ashwood who, who did come on late in the game. But, you know, like it, the, the youth players weren't going to change the game. And I don't think that's the type of game you want to have them cut their teeth on necessarily having to be a kind of an emergency sub in the first half doesn't make a lot of sense, but things were clearly not working well. I mean, I wouldn't say it was all on Tavares by any means. I think the whole team was playing badly. Uh, it was just, he had a few turnovers and I think he just happened to be the whipping boy in this point in this situation, which is unfortunate and hopefully Arteta was able to articulate the reasoning afterwards. But um, I think bringing on Tierney added some stability and hopefully added some more threat, whereas Tavares was just not providing that in this game. Yeah, I mean, I can totally understand it in one way, which is like when I play FIFA and my striker makes a huge miss, I'll totally sub him off, and even if it's like the 20th minute. <laughs> but I don't think it's necessarily a good uh, game management strategy. So No. I, I mean... It's one of those things that'll be interesting to see after Tavares had this kind of rising star thing, you know, a few games back, and it seems to have very much kind of diminished and he's being less and less, uh, I don't know, trusted in that position. Well, I, I said on Twitter during the game, you know, every once in a while Tavares gives you a very solid reminder as to why he's not the starter. (laughs) Like I think he has, he is for as many, positives he has still a lot of shaky moments like there was a, a early back pass to leno that was like line drive uh chest high pack back pass and it was um i don't think that that one particular play uh tipped the scales but you know he he has been culpable on turnovers in the back um in dangerous areas and uh, 
he's got he's got some things to work out in his game. I don't think he is a um I don't think he is the the solution on the left-hand side. I think he is a part of it. I think he can offer things that Tierney doesn't, but I don't think he is so clearly better at anything that that it should make Tierney feel that threatened. I think it should push him to continue to play at a high level, but I don't think it'll um I don't think he's going to take over in that position anytime soon. Definitely. And I mean, and that also being said, these are, you know, learning moments for, uh, for uh, Tavares as well. Mm-hmm. And that it, you know, hopefully take some of these things, lessons back and it'll make him a better player going forward. Cause we do have him for a couple of years. So he, and he's still developing. So, yeah, I think he's, he's got a ton of potential. He's just got some rough edges. He has to, to fix. And, uh, that's you know that left hand side still looks like the strong the strongest side of the team, um, so I, I think he he adds adds more than he takes away overall. Uh, I'm trying to think if anything else jumped out at me. I would say you know holding was he he got rated well in this game, but I I the I he did not pass the eye test to me. He looked a bit slow uh, and not really up to the. Uh, Gabriel level as far as passing out of the back and um, same with Suarez. Like once you've had Tommy Asio, it's hard to go back to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what did you make of Lakonga in this game? I think he, uh, I think he was, I think he, ha- he had the turnover that led to the goal. Um, what, what, what was your impression of his, his game? I mean, it was a weird turnover because it, like it was kind of handball, even though I'm sure it wasn't. And, uh, hmm. Uh, that was a weird turnover. I thought he was fine. I, I don't think, I don't think there's anything that jumped out at me, you know, super positive or super negative, uh, for him in my mind. I thought he's, he looked like a player that had a lot of <laughs> development to go, but had some good flourishes. I think he's a player that, uh, you know, is, is, is growing, but it, he, it wasn't the, the most impressive game I've seen ever from him so i would say maybe the thing that had the biggest effect on this game was not having Xhaka available due to covid um and having to play charlie patino in his first start for the team um having to play him in his in Xhaka's place uh next to lakonga i think was a big blow um i think patino did fine for an 18 year old. Uh, but I don't think it did the conga any favors. Well, I mean, I think it, it, having that young of a midfielder or midfield pairing in the center, just, it, it makes it hard. It's a, the, the kind of the heart of the field is a very inexperienced group of players or duo of players, I guess. And it, it, it I mean, and it shows in that game, <laughs> the, the overall midfield of Arsenal was, you know, able to be uh, run over able to not necessarily be as crafty as they would if you had a Jacques and party in there it's definitely a step down yeah it's a big big shift um and like the strongest part of the team was the Saka Odegaard Martinelli midfield uh or front line I should say and you know that they really didn't get into the game I think the the times when they had the ball um they were just kind of in the wrong areas. They couldn't get things to develop. Um, and I think the Lakonga patino combo behind them didn't really 
they were not able to really get them involved as, as well as they could have been. And that was definitely a, an issue when it came to the flow of the game. The tempo just was not there and they weren't able to really get forward like they, they should have. And I also don't think that the, that, that uh, front line there had as good connection with Enkedia. I, I think there was a lot of times mm-hmm. where they were, they were expecting different types of runs and him to be in different places or do different things. And I don't know if that's a factor of the fact of uh, Nketiah not uh, playing that many first team minutes, but they've, uh, it's kind of weird because they played a lot together. They all kind of <laughs> came up around the same time. Yeah. But uh, it, there was just something off in that connection as well. So when you have your best part of the team disconnected in both phases on both sides of them. It's hard to, hard to, to get anything going. Yeah. I think that, that, that is an issue. It's an issue that Arsenal faces and I, I keep kind of coming, coming back to it, dancing around it. But the, you know, when you have an Enkedi in, when you have an Aubameyang in, you do have to shift your tactics a little bit. It, it is nice that there is some stability and some understanding in how Arteta wants to play, but there also has to be some nuance, I think, when it comes to who is our striker and how do they play the best. And with Enkedia, you have to know that he's going to score from inside the like close proximity to the box. So your entire goal should be getting into wide areas and putting in low crosses or, you know, trying to get the ball at his feet in, in a short, in, in close proximity. And, and I think you're going to find success in that. Um, and I think that is, you know, maybe why a, a reason why Tavares was pulled is that they weren't getting the ball in the right areas or he was trying to do too much. And, um, Tierney is certainly more capable of, of putting in the types of crosses that Nketiah can feed on. Um, but, we do, you know, between Enkedia and Aubameyang and, and Lacazette, there's there's different looks and it's nice to have those different things, but you have to adjust how you play to build up to, to what those those strikers need. Um, and it, I'm curious to see once Arsenal does make a striker signing, what it is that Arteta really wants to do because I do feel like he's got a lot of options, but nothing has felt like it's clicked yet as far as getting the most out of the strikers that we have. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have much more to say on it. I think you, you hit that nail right on the head there. Well, I think we've beat this game to death. Um, you know, it's, it, I, I can't even really say too much about the goal that they did score. It was late in the game. It was a bummer that there wasn't like any real response that we could make. Um, and it never really looked up for it. And that's, that's sad, but I, I think it is when you look at the, the team that was available, it is understandable because this kind of, this looks like the team that lost the first three games of the season. It's not really the team that we've come to love and, and, um, in the last last few weeks, you know, I think this, this is a far cry from the team that lost to Man City, and um, this was just just felt like a different type of loss. Yeah, and I think I think what it highlights is the 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 lack of depth that's in the team, and that hopefully mm-hmm. that it gets addressed, if not in this window, it, in the next window, because you have certain pieces there that are looking like it's firing. It's just getting a a, a whole team together. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely holes that need to be plugged. I think we could move on from, um, Cedric. I think we could 
you know, acknowledge that holding is, is a good depth piece, but not much more. Um, Kolasinac should not be seeing the field anymore. Like, I, I don't even know why he got subbed on at all. Um, it was really late, so I, it, it is what it is. But, you know, um, and, and, and there are lots of spots where we could use uh, a couple more guys, especially that midfield. It's pretty concerning how thin we are there. So that 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 seems to be an area of, of need for the short term and the long term. Definitely. All right. Uh, so looking ahead now, we've got n- not one, but two big games right in front of us here. Um, tomorrow when this podcast comes out or it'll be out tonight, but you know, <laughs> by the time most people listen to this, it'll be Liverpool day. Uh, this being the first leg of what was to be, or what still is a two, two, two leg semifinal, but this is now the first round instead of the second round. Uh, and we'll talk a bit more about why that, why that is. And, in the question section, because we do have a question about that, but um, I I think we'll hopefully get some players back that we were missing for this Nottingham game, um, but I have some concerns <laughs> going up against Liverpool. I have a few concerns. Yeah, I mean, I I I do have some concerns. I think the bright side we can look on is the fact that Liverpool is missing a couple key players through AFCON. Yes. So there is, I think, a little bit more hope that we can keep fairly defensively tight. That being said, you know, Liverpool has that depth that we're missing, and I think they can slot in a couple players. But uh, I think the worrisome part for me is that, you know, if we put out a performance like Forrest, it's just that we were not going to put a goal in. And, you know, mm-hmm. you have Virgil back for uh, for Liverpool. You have, you know, their defense. It hasn't been impressing actually the last couple of days or a couple games, but ha- should have the ability to to do do some work. So I'm nervous, but it, funny enough, I'm not as nervous as the last time we played Liverpool. I feel, I don't know. I feel like we can get something out of this game. Especially, you know, if we start Lacazette, I think if most of our normal stars are there and if we have some sort of functioning midfield. Yes. Uh, I think Jaka, hope, you know, hopefully he is recovering um, and, and is able to get back in. Um, I think he missed a few practices previous to the Nottingham game. So he conceivably could be back in time for this game. And if not, I hope we have him at the weekend because I think that is a big missing piece right now without party available. You have to have Xhaka in there to really have a functioning midfield. Just to interrupt really quickly, isn't it weird to think that Xhaka is an important part of our midfield considering how even earlier this year we thought of him? Well, I just thought we would be moving on from him, but the reinforcements never came. I thought, you know, I thought Lukonga would be a bit more ready to hit the ground running, but I he he needs a bit more development, and that's fine. I think that's okay. But um, yeah, it's he Shaka's still a, a key piece to this team. I think that is something that they need to look to improve upon. Um, but for the time being. 
this team clearly does not function well without a good midfield pairing. Definitely. And I think that's, for me, probably the biggest worry is what we're going to have in that center midfield and how that's going to work against a Liverpool team that could just rip through that if uh, <laughs> if they're on their day and we're not right. careful. Yeah. Um, but I think the upside is that this is the first leg. Um, and if, if there if there is an upside to the the first the the game kind of the first leg getting delayed is that we do have time to recover from this if we have a if we stay in this game and, and um, you know can bounce back in the second leg that's that's key because th- th- we don't have to worry about trying to win a semifinal and then go into North London Derby. I think that that takes a little bit of the pressure off, not much, but enough that we can maybe have some mistakes and be okay or have some more time to recover and, and uh, have to get some players back for the second leg. I mean, the worry from that is when they're going to reschedule the, uh, <laughs> the, the next game. I, Isn't it next week? I mean, didn't they just week? bump yeah. it? Okay, I think so they like, just pushed it. So yeah, the second leg is now the 20th. So next the following Thursday. Okay. So it's still, you know, you still have a Tottenham sandwich here with Liverpool on each end, but um, at least we have Liverpool at home on the second leg now. I think that's a literal definition of a shit sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not ideal, but we'll take we'll uh, we'll take we'll take a shit sandwich this time around. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, you know, we do have two legs, and then the final leg will be at home. I, you know, we'll still be tired, uh, but hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get a decent result in this away leg and not have too big of a hole, and can uh, finish it off at home. But yeah, I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. It's really going to come down to who they can field, and I, I guess my main main concern is the Tottenham game. I, I think that is it as the 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 league is is coming more into focus, and who's going to be nipping at our heels. The um, you know the standings right now. We've got West Ham above us now in fourth place. Uh, and we have a game in hand, so you know a, a win on on Sunday would have us jump ahead of West Ham. But uh, a win for Tottenham puts them above us with uh, two games in hand on their part. So it is uh, detrimental that we win that game. I think to keep our momentum going in that for that top four. Yeah, we we it, it's it's in a lot of ways, nice to have a North London Derby that actually means something. I think mm. in recent years, they've been much more just about the rivalry, which is, you know, it, they always mean something. Don't, do not get me wrong. Like the days after a, a, a North London Derby, I'm either extremely excited or extremely upset and mad, uh-huh. but there's that extra little spice of, you know, we're fighting for that top four spot. It's actually fairly meaningful that you, as you said, they're nipping at our heels. Uh, it just it just means a lot more this year than it has in, in, in recent seasons, and it's it's nerve wracking to see uh, Tottenham kind of get into a little bit of a groove. You have Conte kind of finding his way, though he had some funny comments about uh, 
<laughs> the level of their team after the last Premier League game. Uh, but he had the antics on the sideline after they won against some really bad team in the <laughs> uh, FA Cup. Uh-huh. Uh It's going to be a different, difficult game. I, I I don't know how to call this one. I'm. <laughs> I'm I'm nervous. I think we can beat them. I think there's a possibility they can beat us. It's going to be a tight game. I don't think there's going to be a lot between the two teams. I don't think in general there's a lot between the two teams as far as talent on paper. Yeah, and they're they're not really affected at all by I don't think they have anybody gone for um Cup of Nations. Um they you know, you never know if anything's going to come up with COVID between now and then, but um yeah, you know, they're they are humming along right now, and that the two games in hand were really concerning for how close they are to us in the standings at the moment. Just two points behind us at the moment at the at, at the time of this recording. Yeah, and I think uh, Kane has been the opposite of humming along. I think they should have sold him in the winter window. I think mm-hmm. he's basically throwing a hissy fit uh-huh. as he's he's like to do. But this is exactly the type of game that I think he would get up for just to to do it one last time. Uh Son hasn't been performing great, but again, it's 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 unfortunately these games that will time tend to bring out some of the uh these players out of the the slumps that they're in. It's a you know the biggest cliche in the world to say the form table's out the window, but I think in a lot of ways form table goes out the window because there's so much emotion on this game. It would really be, I mean, the, the performance that Arsenal had against Tottenham the last time around was just outstanding and was really, um, especially I remember that first half being fantastic. It would be a shame to have to drop points to him at this point when it really matters so much more. Um, but I don't know. I, it really depends on what, what lineup we can field. I'm, concerned uh, you know coming out of liverpool that they're going to be tired and are we going to are we going to have everybody available that we need but if they can field the the best best 11 that they have available right now uh i i, I still think we can go toe to toe with tottenham i'm not so you know even without party even without a bombing i think the rest of the the team is capable of of beating tottenham yeah, I mean, definitely. I think on the best, Arsenal is definitely capable of beating Tottenham. I, I, I'm in a lot of ways a lot less worried about Tottenham than I am Liverpool. But that being said, these games are so emotional filled. And, you know, my my biggest worry is that Kane decides to actually come out and play. Mm. And, then, and then, you know, you have a much more difficult assignment uh, but I think this Arsenal team should have it. I, I mean, I think this is a, another one of these games that I think is a really big proving ground for these players. And I think it's a game that Lukonga can really make a name for himself in this game. Some of these players that are, haven't been getting as much minutes, these are, these, these are the times you want them to grab them, grab a game by the, the, the neck and show why we should want them or why we, we, we should be excited about them. Yeah, do you feel like the two game skid that we're on at the moment is going to have any effect on the team's mentality going into the the next couple games? 
No, I think as we discussed after the game against City, I think Arsenal will take a lot out of that game. I think they'll take a lot of positives out of that game. It was a much, if I were the coaching staff, I'd be comparing and contrasting the first game we played against City and that game and show how much the steps up we've been going. And so it's... It, it it still doesn't feel great to lose, but it's a, a, a loss that you can take a lot of pride out of. And, and again, with the Forest game, I just don't. I think it's just such an aberration that I think the players were already for really putting it out of their mind. I I, mm. I, I I think most of the players probably forgot that gameplay existed. Yeah, I think if if Arteta's got this team where he wants them mentally, then they need to be out to prove themselves after those two games and, and, and show that they're worthy of being in the top four and, and, and worthy of going up against Liverpool and and finding success. Because I think after city, I felt like we should not be playing scared, uh, with any of the, the big teams. And, um, that applies to Liverpool and certainly applies to Tottenham. I think we can't play like they're an improving team. We have to play like we're the better team and have been this whole season. Yeah, and I think you can make an argue, definite argument that Arsenal is the better team and has been the whole season. Uh, so I think this is definitely a way to 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 prove it. Yeah, if if it's, I just hope it's not something that we're like, you know, after the game we're like, well, the the lineup wasn't perfect, or you know, like I I, I hope they are able to show up no matter who plays and who, what, what lineup there is. I hope that they are able to step their game up, game up no matter who starts. Yeah. I mean, I think there's going to be there. The thing is like excuses are nice and all and that, and, and that whole thing. But in a game like this, there isn't a lot of excuses for not winning the game. I think there, that it's it, it really not to hype it up too much, but it really does feel like one of those must win games or a game that really will define the season. I think is a better way to put it. I hate the term must win, but it really is a game that is going to determine how we look and what we can expect from the rest of the season. Cause we're, we've already, I've already shifted my expectations cause you know, and I know we'll go into this at the end of the year when we wrote down our predictions at the beginning, but to be in this battle for fourth place is already on the upper ends of how I came into the year. And so, and our expectations have shifted as we've been playing this uh, really good streak. I think if we lose this game, we're going to have to really take a hard look at what our expectations should be for this team again. And I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, the the stakes of this game. Yeah. Well, I think we should leave it there for now. Uh, and when we talk next week, I hope we have positive things to say about both of these games because uh it, they're they're big deals they're both gonna have big impacts on the way the rest of the season plays out yeah and if you're in uh, the bellingham area i think me and a friend of the pod jordan are going to be watching the game at the local public house so if you want to join please do all right well if you hear this leave immediately <laughs> pretty much <laughs> um All right, let's take a pause there, take a quick break, and when we come back, we've got a few more questions from you guys, and we'll try to dip our toes into the transfer market once again and and see what we we can find out. So uh, stick with us. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back from the break. We've got a couple questions from you guys to round things out. So, uh, Tim, why don't you kick us off here? 
All right. So we have uh, two questions from Rod Nichols, and I'm going to ask the first one, which is transfer window and what is everyone's view of our transfer strategy in relation to immediacy versus the ongoing rebuild to being a sustained title challenger again? Well, I think um, Arteta put it best, uh, I think in this last week, he was talking about how you can't really let any transfer window pass you by without trying to improve the team. Uh, No real call out to say we need to go get people to make a push for the top four, but I think that is the writing on the wall and in that this team, as it is right now, is going to struggle to maintain their place without some reinforcements. And I think the, at least from a fan perspective, and I would hope that this is the, at least somewhat the, the viewpoint, the viewpoint behind the scenes is that um, we're maybe a striker or a midfielder or both away from getting champions league next year. And that, we can't really rest on our laurels here and uh, hope that things come together because there are too many teams that are at our level or better that are going to mount a charge in the second half of the season. I don't think Man United's going to sit in, in the shadows forever. I think they'll eventually figure it out. Um, maybe not under this coach, maybe not under, you know, they're going to do enough to try to stay in this race, but you know, their long-term plans, who knows that they've got a lot of work to do, but they're not going to go away quietly. I don't think Tottenham is clearly going to be in the mix. West Ham's going to be in the mix. And so if we want to differentiate ourselves and push ahead of that pack, we have to keep scoring goals and getting points and putting some distance in between us and them. Uh, and, as much as many gains as we as we've made since the beginning of the season, there are still lots of room for growth in the players that we have, and there's lots of uh, room for change to continue rebuilding this team. Uh, so, when it comes to the immediacy versus the ongoing rebuild, I think you can address at least address that partially. I don't know if. Um, we're going to be able to sign two players, you know, that are going to be the long-term solutions in this window. I think we're going to probably have to find somebody to fill in, in one of those roles. And I think right now we're looking at, um, a loan situation for the midfield and, and potentially a, a long-term strike, uh, signing at striker for, if, if the rumors are to be believed. Um, but, I could see them going to loans. I could see them uh, not getting both of those deals done. Um, there's lots of ways that this could go, but I think they're going to try to address the, the obvious holes in the team right now in some way or another, whether that's long-term or not. They, I think there's a realization that they're uh, a little light in midfield or a lot light in midfield, especially with Ainsley Maitland-Niles officially moving over to Roma and, um, you know, with Balogun being uh, sent over to uh, Middlesbrough for, for the rest of the season. Uh, that's a couple couple spots that need to be addressed. And I, I hope that we can make at least one signing that's a long-term solution, but only if it makes sense. I don't want them to go and spend a ton of money on something that doesn't make sense just to try to push us over the top. Yeah, I mean, and 
in the end of the question, it's a, a really interesting part of it, which is like, you know, this like tug between immediacy and becoming contenders for, uh, the, for the title again. But I think these things go hand in hand. I don't think you can be a contender for the title without being in Champions League to get Champions League money and exposure. I think one of the big issues we're having with signing, signing a Vahilovic, is that how you say it? Vlahovic. Uh, Vlahovic. Vlahovic. Uh, is that uh, he's being resistant because we don't aren't in the Champions League and for both the money-wise and then also just for our exposure and the player's exposure, we need the, the to be in the Champions League to to recruit these types of players. Uh, so it kind of goes in hand in hand. That being said, I always think of the January window as a desperation window. It's, it's where bad decisions are born. <laughs> uh, so I wouldn't, I want us to do smart business in this window, which is if there is a opportunity that can be taken, we should definitely take it and it'll for betterment immediately and or more permanently, but I don't want us to sign a bunch of middling players or players on high contracts, blow the the, the bank just to, for the possibility of getting fourth. Because at the end of the day, in my mind, not getting fourth isn't going to be the end of the world. I think it would be highly amazing and beneficial if we, we made it into Champions League, but I think the long-term project takes priority over the uh, the short-term yeah, I think we've we've seen what making short-term decisions can do to the team. I mean, I think you look at the Willian situation and think that was I mean, the length of the contract aside, that was more like a we need to sign this to try to win now and get into Champions League as soon as possible. And Mertesecker uh, made the comments in, in the last couple of weeks, you know, just saying that they, with some of those signings, it was clear that Arsenal had kind of lost their way a bit. And not, I, I think that has been acknowledged and they've changed their strategy. So I'm hoping that that uh, knee jerk reaction has kind of gone away and that they're um, able to look at this with a longer term view in mind. And not just, you know, I, I think there is a balance to be had with win now and win later because we have to acknowledge that, yes, there is an opportunity to win now, but if we play things right, we could also be winning year two, three, and four. You know, you've got this group for locked in for a few years. Let's think about that window and not just this year. Yes, but I think that's where the the balance gets tricky. Is that you do only have these players for a, a set window, and if you're constantly in rebuilding mode, you never get to that that next levels. I mean, I think uh, maybe uh, uh, the the Mariners might be a good example of that, where it always just feels like we're in the, for baseball. For those of you who don't really follow American <laughs> baseball, uh, the Seattle team is always in rebuilding mode and never really gets to that final level. And I feel that way that that could be the dangers. We have some of these talents that are are good pieces and you need to get the right pieces around them and that's going to cost money and that's going to be risks. I just think it gets more certainly less risky if you're in the Champions League, both because you have a little bit more cushion of money and also you have 
a, a stage that players are willing to go to. Players are willing to go to teams that are in the Champions League just to be in that shop window. But I, I would make the argument that none of the six players that we signed over over the summer were. I don't think the expectation was that they were going to come in and turn this team around. I think we've gotten really lucky that it's come together as quickly as it has. And I don't think anybody expected that to be the case. Um, you know, maybe because it has come together that well, you take advantage of that and try to push a little harder. Um, but I, I think when you're looking at what their plans were going into the season, the, it is, it is a rebuild year. It is something we can say, okay, this is, uh, we're looking at long-term growth, long-term returns on these young players. And it, it, if um, if it's not going to happen year one, that's okay. I don't think the, ex- the expectation going into this season was that it was going to just all click. I mean, maybe Arteta is that arrogant and thinks that if he just was given the right players, it was all going to fall into place. But, um, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me if things didn't, pan out and we ended up in fourth that, that would not come as a shock to me just because we are dealing with a, a young group and they don't have um the experience to maybe go the distance at this point in their careers but after this season you know then i i, I don't know it, it's really it is hard from a fan perspective because of course you want them to do everything they can uh to win now but i i just i don't want to take a step back and and make poor decisions that are going to damage this young group in the long term, especially when it comes to um, wage structure and things like that. I think like you, they got rid of all that debt, a lot of that dead weight, especially if you're getting Aubameyang off out of the picture. Um, as far as salaries and and inflated the inflated wages and the big egos, if you can get those things out of the way don't go and buy a player that's got a huge ego and, and a a big wage attached to him. I think that's, that's a thing of the past. So my hope is that they've learned those lessons and are, are going to make smarter signings. And if that takes a little bit longer, I think that is, that's worthwhile to, to build a team that's going to be more cohesive and better long-term than some, a a team that's going to be, um, running to the same things we've run into, you know, in these cycles where, you know, with Ozil and, and Aubameyang now, I I just, I don't want to see that keep happening where we just have to write these players off to get the team back on track. Yeah, definitely. And, but the, uh, you know, just not to be a dead horse, getting, getting to that fourth spot and getting that Champions League money makes those, those decisions less painful. But, because every team does have that, you know, like Chelsea has Timo Werner, which looks more and more like one of those uh, signings that is uh, <laughs> they're they're going to regret. And mm-hmm. you know, uh, all these teams have it. But if you if you have that Champions League sweet sweet money, you can you're more insulated from those. Whereas we're just in a position right now where we can't make mistakes. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. We have to talk about this going into tomorrow's uh, Liverpool game, but like I alluded to earlier, there's a reason that we have to play. Um, uh, we got the order flip flopped here, and and we've got two games in front of us instead of just tomorrow's uh, second leg. Uh, all that being said, we're calling it Klopp Vidgate, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it came out this week that uh, there there may be some issues with the COVID situation on the Liverpool side. Uh, are you up to speed on on Klopp's comments and, and the situation yes. in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do want to preface this with things are weird, man. Like it's, it's a weird time. I don't think there's a lot of people knowing exactly what the right thing to do is. And I think we as people right now should, I know it's hard as a football fan or as a soccer fan to do this, but be a little bit forgiving in some ways. I think. Well, we have to be, cause they're not going to, they're not even going to check into it anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's the worst part. But I, I think, uh, you know, it's, and I, I tend to be an optimist when I deal with people. I think people, I try to take people at face value unless I don't have to. Um, so that, and you know, it's, it is a weird time. If, if the, everything's on the up and up, it was the right thing to, to, to cancel that game to a certain extent. I do have a little bit of a quibble with it. I just wanted to put that precursor of like, I, you know, we're dealing with people, lives, a disease that is still, you know, volatile, uh, so that caveat out of the way, I'm now not going to rescind everything I just said, which is <laughs> to be honest, I thought we should have played the game, even if they had that many positive tests going on in some ways, because mm-hmm. they, they could have fielded a team and a lot of those players that they could have fielded were playing earlier in the cup. So if they were good enough to play earlier in the cup, I don't understand why they can't play them. It's not like they would have had to throw absolute scrubs onto the field or anything like that. It was players that had been cup tied in this cup series. And I think that could be a good thing for the cup is like, Hey, if you have players that have played in this cup, you, you, you should be willing to play them later on in the, in the, in the cup. So I, so even before the, the, this whole clock vid gate, I don't know if that rolls off the tongue very well, but <laughs> even before that, I, uh, I think there was a case to be made for playing the game that being said, if there's an actual outbreak in their locker room, it might be a good idea not to expose Arsenal to that at the very least, or in the uh, non uh, non uh, tribal way, not expose other people to to an outbreak. Uh, but the the way those tests have been rescinded just it feels really fishy to me. It it, it just stinks, you know. Like I hundred percent if it. It's, it's, it, to my mind, I, I compare it a lot to diving, which is, you know, when you're even with VAR, sometimes it's really hard to like show and like that was a dive. Mm-hmm. But you, when you watch it and you see it, and especially in real time, you can see that it's a dive. It's that, that, that eye test, you know, that nose test. Yeah. This just smells so fishy. The fact that they were able to field their basically full team three days later and had just enough positive test to, uh, to, to cancel the game just feels really shady to me. And I think there's a larger issue of the fact that there's no clear guidelines of when teams are canceling. There's a lot of teams protesting this, the, the cancellation because they were forced to play games with almost the same number of pay- players being out. Mm-hmm. It does smack of it's Liverpool. So they got a little bit better, uh, uh, treatment than, you know, a Burnley would which I believe yeah. is one of the teams protesting. Uh, I, I, whether it actually helped Liverpool or not, I don't know. 
because they're still going to be missing the players for this next game and the game after. That's why, like with the conspiracy theory, I always, I always ask like who benefits from it. And I don't know if Liverpool really benefits all that much other than maybe the players needed a break. But I do think with a little bit more clarity, there could be a lot less frustration about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it does smack of preferential treatment when they kind of just got the benefit of the doubt and all this. I feel like there's... Um, if if you feel like there is a reason to cancel the games, the EFL should be going in and doing their own tests. Like, you know, get to the bottom of things. Get a final answer. Don't rely on Liverpool's word. You know, after this, I feel like they should realize that they got burned and be have more scrutiny, especially once you get to the semifinal. I mean, that's just ridiculous to be that nonchalant about this. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to say that the EFL was really hoping in good faith, which I think sure. I think that like if if it's true, that's the thing that's a little bit just sh- just shady is the uh the fact that Liverpool would be using this pandemic as an excuse not to play a game. It just uh, it, it it I don't know. Uh so I, was, I, I think maybe the EFL was re- acting on good faith. And, you know, one of the articles I was reading, I believe was in The Guardian, it was a re- reputable source either way, is that these lateral flow tests are 99.7% correct. Not to say that there isn't false positives, but they're extremely, extremely, uh, you know, generally pretty good. And the fact that you have, what was it, 13 false positives, 11 false positives? In it like was, a sample size of twenty, ridiculous, yeah, ridiculous amount. It's, it, I mean, like they should actually be going back and maybe suing the the company for getting a bad batch or something. They're, if if it isn't in bad faith, if Liverpool's telling the truth about how this all went down, they there should be other actions being taken. Or yeah, so, or some tester should be you know maybe tested themselves. You know, like if there's some contamination or something yeah. happening, somebody's head should roll for this. But there's also the argument too that EFL wants to have Liverpool available to field their best team for you know the once you get into the showcase rounds where you've got the top teams playing each other, you want to have the best teams available for the TV for your tournament. So if it's not surprising to me that the EFL's looking the other way on this and not launching an investigation to get to the bottom of why things were so sketchy. I think either they're in on, you know, not necessarily in on it, but willing to look the other way because of the um, quality of the teams that they'll, they'll get from postponing um, one of the legs, but also, you know, they, if they do the investigation, it just puts egg on their face and not, you know, they, they aren't putting a, a good light for being so, um, uh, careless in their, uh, postponement of the first round i think that they only look bad from from finding out the truth <laughs> exactly i think uh there's i i the thing is that it just it, it throws a lot of shade uh, just lack of credibility in the process and you know i i definitely have a different view of liverpool now than i did before and maybe a little bit less respect for klopp than i did 
Because I, mm-hmm. and I, again, none of this has been proven, and it could very well to be that it's uh, all in good faith. But it, I, it, it just, doesn't have to be proven. We're going to hate Liverpool even more and not feel <laughs> bad about it. Yeah, I mean they've they've had a too good of a run of being the the uh, the shining boys of the Premier League. I feel it's time to get a little muck thrown on their way. Well, yeah, if only it would stick. Hmm. Have you seen his teeth? Nothing sticks to those teeth for Klopp. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. Um, okay, one more question for this week before we wrap things up. Um, do you want to take this yeah, one? I'll, do you I'll want... take this one. You did the last okay. one. And it's uh, from a friend of the pod, Tim Whitten. He asks, I think we need to have a discussion about the white kits and what they did for off Arsenal's on-pitch image and possibly performance. I fully endorse the cause, but whether wearing a strange help kit helps is de- debatable, quite frankly. White is associated with Spurs, and no Arsenal fan wants that. Yeah, what, what, what did you think about those those kits? Oh, I hated them. <laughs> when I saw them, I just, I, it, you know, Tim's dead on the money, like any... Any Arsenal fan's going to look at that and go like, "Who whose idea was that?" And again, like it's it's a great cause, and I think you know, <laughs> knife violence is a bad thing happening in London. So, like, I think it's something that gives awareness, and it definitely gives awareness. People are talking about it, but I'd prefer like I don't know, like I mean, <laughs> this would be crude, but you getting the uh, the, the blood spatter kits from last season on, like <laughs> I don't know, like bring them back, yeah. I are doing more of like a sustained campaign with using the players and that sort of thing. But I'm not a fan of third kits. I'm not a fan of uh, changing the colors like for your team. I, I I wish every game could be played in white sleeves, red top, like <laughs> that. But I'm old fashioned that way, I guess. Uh, and then there's been a couple second kits that I've enjoyed over the years, but this proliferation of kits and alternate kits and warm up kits is, uh, it's a lot this year. Yeah. It's a lot. They've had something out like every month and it's a, and it's cool. I I think, I mean, we have to acknowledge the fashion side of the game and it's a a way for the team to make money, but I'm just like, yeah, like some kits are just a bad idea and putting Arsenal in all white is just, (laughs) I mean, what do you think? I, you know, I thought the, I, the worst part about it to me, and I know the players, but you know, not having the numbers visible on the back really bugs me for some reason. Mm. But then I thought, well, if they had like dark, it would look even more like Tottenham if they had white kits with dark numbers on them. So there was, it was a lose, lose situation. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you have numbers on kids. I I didn't even really think about that, but, uh, and they were there, they were just in white, which is even more stupid to me. Yeah. Because I, I mean, like, I don't mind a, a team that will have just numbers and no uh, names on. I think it's a fun nod and and, and that sort of thing. But to identify players and especially for a ref, luckily nothing happened that game. It can be really difficult without numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to criticize such a good intention. It was a good intention. I just think sometimes these front office folk need to probably think about things a little bit harder and more critically. Well, I will give them that it was, if you're going to do a campaign, at least it was only one game. It was a non-league game. And apparently those those kits are not even for sale. They're only going to give them out to people who are helping with this um, cause that they're wearing them for. So they're kind of uh, 
one of a kind sort of thing. So if anybody has them, they'll have a ton of value. But outside of that, you know, it's at least we can just put that behind us and never see yeah. those things again. I mean, as far as on pitch performance, I I think the players think about that so little other than maybe not being able to identify each other. I mean, I, I think as long as they know who's on their team, it, it, the kids, it's much easier on the field than watching from f- f- far. <laughs> exactly. So I think, uh, it doesn't really, if, if, I mean, if it was something that continued on, there's something to be said for maybe diluting the identity of the team and losing what that is. But, you know, as you said, it was one off. So I don't, I, I don't think it had a major effect on the performance of the team. I don't think wearing the Arsenal kits, the normal Arsenal kits would have made that game much more watchable. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but let's let's vow to never wear anything remotely close to a Tottenham kit again. Please. Hopefully they... they that should be the last time. Yeah. Yes. Although, did you see the 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 other alternative kit that they're? I, I don't think this will ever be worn in games, but they're putting out that one that's based on the uh, the uh, subway seat pattern that is uh, from the. I I don't know what they're calling no, it. I but it's seen like, this. yeah, they're they're based on the London tube uh, seat fabric. I think those are supposed that to come out soon. I'm trying to think what those look like because I've actually ridden the London, but there's like every single public transit has their own special mm. fabric, and I always get confused which one's which. Yeah, is that one like dark? A, it's a blue. It's with, a blue with, with confetti, that. like kind of. Yeah, it's it's not pretty. I mean, it's not something <laughs> I would wear, but I I guess I can appreciate that they're trying a lot of stuff. It just it, the frequency of it is intense yeah. this season between training kits, throwback kits. Uh, it's a lot of extra stuff that don't fit in the uh, game day category. Like they just, they're the training stuff, the, it's just, it's a lot and and none of it's cheap. I mean, it doesn't get any less expensive with more volume. Well, I mean, I think I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but I think this is the, the, the effect of modern football happening right now mm-hmm. that, that that now soccer is all about money how much it's owned by people that don't really care about the team just how much the money they can generate and so you have now an absurd amount of games like there there, there shouldn't be this many games there shouldn't be this many tournaments they're you know talking about doubling the europa league or the UEFA league now they're talking about like adding more and more games are already having african cup nations and a world cup in the same year where we're there's so much going on and the kids are just another thing they're selling more and more and more and there there has to be a ceiling at some point i mean i don't buy every kit anymore i hardly buy real kits i buy knockoffs every once in a while uh i watch every arsenal game but i've gotten to the point where they're just there is almost too much content. There's too much going on. There's too much. And it, it, it's overwhelming. Yes, that is definitely true. I, I like having frequent games to watch, but as life gets busier and more back to normal, uh, eventually I, I just, there's no way I can watch as much Arsenal or bees. Um, and, and at no point can I really afford to buy all of the things that they put out. Even if I do, if, if I were to like everything that they put out, there's no way I could. Um, nor does anybody need that much. I think that's the other thing is like it, it 
dilutes the value of what is out there when you've got another thing on the horizon right afterwards. Like it just never seems to stop. And it's like, well, let's not forget we had, you know, three new kits this season, let alone the five or six that have come out during the season. At some point it diminishes what the, the, um, what makes them special. Like you, you just kind of lose, uh, any, any perspective on what the, um, the value of an individual kit, especially like when you, when you do spend the money on uh, a new kit for the season and then all of a sudden it's old news, you know, it's like, you feel like you wasted your money or, you know, you, you didn't wait long enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, for the 20 odd years, I forget exactly more than 20, 25 odd years I've been following Arsenal. Uh, I've owned three kits, one of them a knockoff. <laughs> and, you know, like I still wear my, the first one I bought, and I remember I paid $90 for it, which seems absurd. But, uh, <laughs> and uh, it was the uh, first year in the Emirates kit. Mm-hmm. And I've just worn that all the time and it's fine. Yeah. Some of the, the lettering's fading off or whatever, but it's the only one I've really wear regularly. I wear the bruised banana every once in a while. I think I'm going to wear it this uh, this Sunday for the game. Yeah, I, for all the kits I have, I don't get a chance to wear them nearly as much as I'd like to. The situation, like I'll wear them on game days, but uh, I don't. I don't usually. It's it's not my choice of fashion on a on an average day. I I, I tend to wear them two games or on game days. Uh, so I probably have way, way too many for as much as I actually get to wear them. I love wearing them when I travel because it's, it's a fun conversation piece, especially if you're international mm. travel, people, uh, yes. will remark on it. I, you know, I wear my Sounders jersey and people love it because it has the Xbox logo on it. Like, uh, it's a, a good conversation piece when I travel internationally. That's where I wear most of my jerseys. We, we've never really talked about that on, on our podcast, but both, we, we both had the opportunity to go to, to Kenya uh, once upon a time. And that was maybe my favorite part about the whole trip was where, you know, we were wearing our Arsenal jerseys. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think that was like, it might've been pre-season or towards the end of the season that, that year. And Arsenal hadn't done so well. It was kind of towards the end of the, <laughs> the Wenger era. And um you know, we were getting a lot of banter from other yeah. <laughs> other teams fans, but we were also get you know, there's a lot of Arsenal fans in Kenya. So it was a great, you know, you, you, for as many, uh, for as much banter as you got from other, other fans, you got as many supporters, uh, calling you out for having a good, good Jersey on. And <laughs> I ended up buying, buying a knockoff kit in, in Kenya. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a, great experience. So it's, it's, it is a good conversation starter when you're traveling in other countries. And, um, it is a, a reminder, uh, just how big the fan base is in, in a, a global team like Arsenal. I will tell you though, I was wearing my Sounders kit that I, it was a gift to, to me. So someone put my last name on the Sounders kit. And, uh, when I was in, uh, not Costa Rica, uh, Honduras. When I was in Honduras, uh, there are a couple kids. I was at a village, and a couple kids thought I actually played for the Sounders, and I had to try and explain in my horrible Spanish that I did not play for the Sounders. <laughs> That's great. It just assumed they have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Gringo walking around with a jersey with his name on it. Yeah, makes sense. Um. Anyway, I think that's a good place to stop this week. Um. 
I hope that some of you will get a chance to listen to this episode before the Liverpool game and, uh, you know, not instantly be disappointed in our <laughs> late or out of, out of date discussion. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I hope we have great things to talk about next week after two huge games. Me too. Um, Thank you all for sticking with us this long. If you've gotten through this episode, uh, really appreciate you. Um, if you haven't reviewed and subscribed wherever you are listening to this podcast right now, go hit those buttons, leave those reviews. And uh, best of all, if you can just tell a friend, you, if you know another Arsenal fan, go tell them about their pro- our podcast, say how much you like it or not but you know if you don't like something about it what are you doing here at least tell us about it by you know writing us an email westernnorthlondon at gmail.com is a great place to do that if you just want to send in questions that's another another thing you can do there uh twitter's another great way to send in feedback or questions uh at w of n london is the place to find us there uh we have uh way to send in voicemails and that's uh anchor.fm slash uh west of north london slash message or did i get that backwards it's uh slash west of north london slash message there we go uh and then we have a discord uh if you want to join us and chat with us and send in questions there uh we don't have a handy dandy uh, way to just get you a link to that, but hit us up on Twitter. We'll get you in. I do post the link on there occasionally. Um, we'll be on the uh, show notes of the show. Ooh, we could throw that in the show notes. Yeah, Good thinking, Tim. This is why I have you here. <laughs> I don't do much, but I can provide that. <laughs> uh, yeah, find it in the show notes. Why, why haven't I thought of that before? Um, then we've got a theme song from Bobcat. They are a band out of Seattle, and they make music like our our theme song. And if you want to hear more things like that, their album, No, no Course to Follow, can be found at their website, which is bobc.at. Go check them out. And as for us, that is all for this week. But as always, see you at the next gunship.